Ladies and gentlemen, I am super excited to have my friend Kelly Zitlow on the podcast today. So Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I always jump in with what's your work history, kind of employment history, all that good stuff. How did you get to where you are now? And then what are you doing specifically? So I am a mortgage advisor. I've been lending for 25 years in the residential home lending space. And um, I currently work for Cornerstone Home Lending. I've worked for three mortgage bankers over that 25 years, so I don't move around a lot. Uh, but you know what I'm looking for in a company is just always that operational efficiency and the ability to take great care of people. And so that just kind of that's important to have as a partner when you're a loan officer because really it's a togetherness type of approach. It's what we can do with strategy and conversations and making sure we're meeting people's goals, but we have to have a really strong company behind us that can deliver the actual home loan product. So Cornerstone's a great company and uh, I've been here for four years. Okay. Yeah. And then you mentioned that you were at a couple companies before this. Mm -hmm. So how did you even get started uh, with this industry? Well, I don't think anybody kind of grows up thinking, oh, I think I'll be a mortgage advisor. You know, it's not, <laughs> not like on the college, no. like things to do. Um, I, funny story, but I think a lot of people fall into this business and I did too. I graduated from college. I went a little bit later uh, in school and I was pre-law. So I was getting ready to go to law school and I'd worked my way through college as a server and a bartender at Chili's and went into restaurant management when I was in college. And I wasn't a very good restaurant manager, honestly. Yeah, not <laughs> at all. I like to go to bed at like 9.30 p.m. So, you know, that doesn't not make one, well for a morning. good, yeah, no. Um, and so I had this gap between when I graduated from college and when I was getting ready to go to law school. And I actually just had happy hour with some friends and one of those friends worked at a mortgage company. She said that they were hiring. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll go do something, you know, for six months before I get ready to leave for Ohio to go to law school. I'm from Arizona. I don't know what I was thinking. Snow? I don't know. Anyway, so uh, I did. And I went and met with them. And um, I thought it was interesting. And so I just quit my job and went to work in the mortgage industry. And it was a great fit for me because... I do have that ability to think strategically with regard to lending guidelines and what's going on in somebody's life and what their goals are and kind of bring all that together and chunk down really difficult concepts with regard to this whole crazy home loan stuff. Right. So that I do really well in addition to just liking people. I want to hear people's stories. I want to make sure that they are empowered as they move through this process and that we're educating them. So those two passions kind of collided and I decided not to go to law school and it's that was 25 years ago. Okay. So. <laughs> and then what were the what was the progression once you were inside uh, the mortgage loan industry? Well, it was a slow start because, you know, back in 1996, I mean, like Google was still not really the Google we know today. Right. So learning and that whole training component just was so different back then. So I did a lot of reading of the underwriting manuals, asking everybody I could questions at that company. And um, I just really kind of went all in and I'm that type of person and thinker. So listening to conversations, watching, and learning and uh, it was just really one of those instantaneous types of like I like it I found joy in it and so 
I did well early on um, just because I think of my ability to connect with people and just like people, right? And yeah. want to help them achieve their goals. So this is a great industry to be able to do that and touch you know, a lot of people. I mean, for the most part, either you're renting a home or you are want to buy a home or you own a home, right? So right. The, all of the majority of people in this country need a great lender that can really evaluate where they are and what their path to home ownership is. And after 25 years, that still excites me, so. That's awesome. Yeah. Which I, I love to talk to people who, when they jumped in, it wasn't originally like, hey, like, I'm going to be passionate about this, but then finding the joy in the work that they do. For sure. As, and then, like you talked about with, the, like, helping people to be able to say, hey, here's where I can serve somebody, help someone, even mm -hmm. just connect with someone. Yeah. And then really pushing into that to say, all right, let's push the chips in and see where we can go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, early on, I didn't even know that really what a mortgage was or how it all worked, you know? So right. it wasn't as if I came into it with all this knowledge. I just learned it all and, you know, have done thousands of loans over the years. <laughs> and, and that's something that, you know, mortgage lending has evolved over the years. And it is so different today than it was 25 years ago. So um, you have to be able to be open to change and you know guidelines and programs and all that kind of stuff but in the end people don't change you know right. and that's the consistent that I can share over the last 25 years people still have goals fears high emotion during this process um, need answers and and deserve answers right so how have you seen it change in the last 25 years then because I know we've gone through I think a one got shook up in the real estate market 2008 obviously and then it's where kind of in this huge growth spurt especially for Arizona right now so what have you seen change um, in your uh, profession specifically well prior to 2008 really anything went it was not difficult to obtain a home loan there were so many different products out there you didn't have to put any money down you barely had to show any documentation to qualify i mean it was just such a different mindset and that was just across our nation so prior to that 2008 mark let's say the barrier to entry was none i mean you could fog a mirror and get a loan essentially <laughs> and then you know the the crash happened yep. and the Great Depression happened and all of this recession, whatever you want to call right. it, like just hard times. And then as our country started to come out of that, there was vast regulation that took place on a national level, level that really now doesn't allow for that type of loan approach or product. So today it's different because there are down payment requirements unless you're using a VA home loan. Uh, there are stricter income uh, ability to qualify requirements. So it's just a whole different animal. So I like to say 2008 was anything goes, 2008 to now it's, you know, really being able to put together the pieces of somebody's puzzle because right. income, you know, asset, credit, all of that really does matter today more than ever. Was there not a lot of regulation on the process or even just requirements uh, before 2008 because um, there is an expectation from people usually like, hey, it's, we want to, like, typically the conversation would be like, oh, 20% down, which obviously it's, they weren't doing that. And that's why we saw a huge mess. But was that an expectation in years leading up to it that that's why no one thought, oh, we don't need to regulate this because everyone understands the process that they need to go through. And then the floor fell out or 
I don't know. It's well, interesting question. <laughs> I'm sure you could ask that question to 100 people and get 100 different answers. In my perspective, Wall Street came into the home lending game and decided to allow for a lot of different creative, exotic home loan products that allowed people to purchase houses with zero money out of their pocket and put them into loans that they didn't understand. And that was happening on a mass level. I mean, th the biggest lender in the country, you know, who's no longer in business anymore, but you know, their product was 80% first mortgage, 20% second mortgage. Um, that first mortgage would have a, neg a negatively amortized uh, payment, which just means that you're not even paying. Your payment doesn't even cover the interest that's due on the loan. So there was a lot of confusion with consumers about how does this thing really work? And you know, they would pitch like a 1% interest rate. And I would argue, look, that's not a 1% interest rate. Your payment's based on 1% but your interest rate is really seven or seven and a half or 8%, right? But it was so confusing. And I think that just the clarity around actually how those programs worked, there was no desire to try to truly dig deep. And so lots of confusion, lots of people got themselves in a position that they, once the market turned and market values started to decrease, they, those loans were not sustainable. Right. And so, that was the big piece of the difference. Today, that's not the case. I mean, today it's absolutely regulated with regard to the ability to repay, and that came out of the Dodd-Frank Act um, that came out in, what, 2009, 2010. Okay. Yeah. Which is interesting, the whole of last year when we were seeing everything appreciate so quickly, there were so many people asking, like me, and then I'm sure you as well, to say, like, is this 2008 all mm -hmm. over again? Is the world gonna fall down? Like, yeah. And it has been interesting learning as far as, like, no, like, everything's appreciating quickly but everyone should like if everyone keeps their job we should be fine it's so different today you know back then people bought in speculation so you know they would buy it and thinking they could flip the house and make 25 or 50 grand in 24 hours never with an intent to live in the house and that type of thing that speculation isn't what we see today we have true buyer demand and we have two demographics that are buying right now which is also leading that demand we have the millennial generation that are now buying homes and then we have the baby boomers that are maybe downsizing from their big homes so they're selling a house and they're buying another house that suits where they are in their lives so so much buyer demand it's just different and these are buyers that are going to retain and live in these homes not that speculative you know oh my gosh i'm going to make 50 grand overnight i'm going to buy real right. estate and i'm going to buy it on a crazy loan right like yeah <laughs> so it's just night and day honestly it, but you know the fear is there for people and i think really what helps is just to have these types of conversations where we can break down the differences look nobody knows what's going to happen with real estate and real estate is cyclical we all know that just like many businesses are cyclical right do i think real estate is going to continue to appreciate at 20 percent year over year in phoenix arizona no i don't and it shouldn't Right. right. So that appreciation will start to slow down, but what we're still seeing is a significant buyer demand. Yeah. So, you know. And what are some of the obstacles that you have with clients, even when having that conversation as far as it's, because there is a part where it's kind of stressful. People, the traditional way of thinking about it is people don't like to talk about their money, even when it's like, hey, we're the people who work with your money. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, what do you see as far as the obstacles you have when you're talking to clients and then how do you guys try and overcome those uh, in most cases? I think the first obstacle is really just having real conversations and making sure that people know that there's no judgment. It's we're here to help navigate somebody's home loan 
in an honest, well-communicated and knowledge-based lending experience. Like that's what we do. So to be able to break down those barriers and just get people talking about their story and what their goals are, that helps us to start to build strategy around their particular scenario. I think the biggest stress today is just affordability. You know, so if you're an entry level kind of first time home buyer and you're in that under $300,000 price point and you don't have, you have limited down payment, that's a tough price range to be in. And that's a challenge because I've built my career in helping first time home buyers. So, you know, it's, it's sad on some level because they're, they're, they're priced out of that market right now. Right. Now, the solution is to open up conversation about potentially parents co-signing. That's a really big point that a lot of lenders miss when they're talking to first-time home buyers. So we see more parents co-signing today that will help their child or relative be able to obtain financing and get into that house. And once somebody's into the house, as you've seen, now they start to build wealth through real estate. Right. You know, so we're we've helped clients a year ago that are now able to refinance. Maybe they did down payment assistance a year ago and now they're able to refinance, eliminate the mortgage insurance or tap into some of their equity. I mean, it just changes their whole life. So we are very strategic and having very in-depth conversations and making sure that we're exploring all options for somebody that is in one of the lower price points just so we can be sure to set them up for success and allow them to have the opportunity of home ownership. Yeah. And that part that I find always interesting too is it's people will say like, is it a good idea to rent or buy? And to me, it's the whole idea as far as like your rental is going to be about the same price, if not more than more. your <laughs> monthly mortgage. And then on top of that, if you're beating it, that rate is going to go up next year if you're in a rental. Whereas yes. you buy that house, if if you're in a 30 year fixed, it's 30 years of a fixed rate. And so for the people, if they're getting into that entry home, it's people say, hey, if you're a young family getting started, like we hope that in the next couple of years, you're gonna get job promotions, that okay. you're gonna see your pay increase, all that stuff. So it's like, that's where we like to get people in to say, we're gonna, it might be a little kind of just weird to have the conversation up front to say like, hey, would you guys be willing to co-sign for this? But mm -hmm. it's in the end, I think it's one of the more beneficial things rather than saying, oh, we're gonna wait it out. Right. We talk a lot about waiting to buy and I think just really running the numbers on that. So, you know, if, if somebody was gonna buy 300,000 last year, uh, that house today is 360,000, right? My when neighbor across the street, they bought 209 last year. They sold almost exactly a year later. They sold it for 275 to a person who's flipping it. They're flipping it for 310. Right. So yeah. there you have it. You know, <laughs> and that's more than a 20% increase, right? Yeah, it's ridiculous. So I know, but but just I think sometimes it's so easy to get it caught up in all the hoopla and the media and the negativity and the rawr, rawr, rawr. like you got to look at the numbers. And that's why working with trusted real estate professionals is so important because that's what you can do, right? You can bring together true analytics based on a zip code or a subdivision or an area and say, look, forget what the national media is saying. Here's exactly what's happened year over year in this market. Right. And here's the demand for this market. Yeah. Right. So based on that demand, here's what we think we're projecting or, you know, purchase prices to do. And that's quality information that people need, not the emotional kind of scare tactics that national media right. does. That's not what the average person needs. They need people like me and you that can just talk them through it. Maybe it makes sense to buy and maybe it doesn't. Right. So, so then I know we've had conversations before as far as you guys uh, looked at certain things with the Fed rate for indicators on what might be coming down the pipeline, certain meetings that they're going to have mm -hmm. to potentially change that. Is there 
Uh, could you elaborate on that? Because I only know the keywords to sound smart enough to <laughs> make it pass. But um, And then also, if there's anything else that you guys pay attention to, I'd love to hear uh, what you guys look at on your team to be able to say, okay, here's what we might see coming in the next six months. Yeah, so we follow the markets closely. Um, it's important to know that the mortgage-backed security market is what drives long-term mortgage rates. And a lot of people don't know that. Now, the Federal Reserve and their position on the Fed funds rate does have a correlation to long-term mortgage rates. But more important than that, in March of last year, when the pandemic really started to gain traction, um, the Federal Reserve came out and they not only dropped the Fed funds rate to zero, they more importantly started to purchase mortgage-backed securities because they wanted to fuel and foster home ownership, refinancing, purchasing, and all of that. So and that's really what we've been running on. The mortgage-backed security, that is that's a, like a collection of loans, correct? If I understand that's that correctly. That's the security, correctly. that's right, yeah. So now there's independent investors that buy those and always have, but now you have the Federal Reserve buying those in a significant manner, and they have now for the last year and a half. So when we hear about the Federal Reserve talking and their meetings, especially as they get towards year end, they're starting to converse about tapering, that's the word, tapering, which just means they're going to slow down the purchasing of those mortgage-backed securities. And with that slowdown, it's likely that we'll see interest rates trickle up a little bit. That said, I'm not, nobody's forecasting rates to jump by like two points over the next right, six months. Yeah. That's not, when we say rates are gonna trend up, we're talking probably a quarter of a percent, a half a percent, you know, maybe over the next year to two years, that type of thing. So we're not talking anything material. We and don't even, wanna scare everyone into buying no. a house right now. I mean, it has to make <laughs> sense, right? Well, yeah, I mean, do I think rates are gonna be where they are next year? this time where they are right now? No, I don't. I think they're going to be slightly higher. But, you know, what's the real impact? Right. Right. So the the real impact based on the interest rate, that's a piece of it. But the, the real concern is just property appreciation, right? You, now you're paying $100,000 more for that house. Okay, so what? The interest rate's a quarter percent higher. The fact that you're paying $100,000 more for the house is the bigger impact. Right, right? yeah. So we're going to start to see this kind of perfect storm of... Uh, property appreciation and rising interest rates that it will start to impact some people's ability to qualify and at certain price points. So if somebody is thinking about purchasing a house, now's the time to do it because there's still interest rates are still historically low. Yeah. I wanted to switch gears a little bit and ask you, um, what's your experience been with building a team? So like you went from doing it by yourself as far as, mm -hmm. and then it's now you've expanded out the office that we're in here. <laughs> so um, I'd love to hear part of how you've tried to grow your team as far as what was kind of step one from going, all right, we've got a lot of work. How do we start to expand what we're doing? Yeah, I think it first starts with mindset. Okay. So up until kind of that 2008, nine mark, I had ran my business with essentially me and two other people. So there were three of us. Okay. And we had a great business, but things were different back then. We didn't have the regulation that we started to have after Dodd-Frank and all the other home lending regulations. So when that regulation started to change, together with just so many people were losing their homes and needing to foreclose and short sell, and we had bank-owned properties and we had this real estate crash. We had so much like turmoil in our community that it was at that point that I realized my real 
superhero power, if there is one, was <laughs> to be in the community and talk with people and, and be accessible to people and, and help them to understand that this stinks that you're going through this, but there is hope. And, you know, there are things like an FHA loan where you can buy three years after a foreclosure or short sale. So I needed to start to hire and build out my team so we could still give that service that was people relied on us giving. But to allow me to be able to not sit there and look at the bank statements, but allow me to be able to bring strategy and hope and conversations to our community. So that was really the big shift for me. And that was hard because I am kind of a control freak. And, <laughs> you know, early on in my life, I thought, well, gosh, you know, I do it the best. So I'm the one that has to do everything. And yep. that's just so small minded. So when I say it's all mindset, that's so key because you have to be able to let go. You have to be able to say, you know what? They're gonna do it their own way. We're gonna train them, we're gonna develop our team. We meet every day at 9.30. Every day we talk about certain things that are impacting our clients or our business partners. And we're always there to try to find solutions. And honestly, these team members, way better at these parts of the process you know, than I am. So it was a good thing. I always share with people, you know, because I never want people to feel like, you know, we're just, I'm just handing them off or that I don't care. That's not the case at all. In fact, I care right. so much that I've built this community of people that are so skilled and experienced to really help navigate the home loan process. But when I'm talking with clients, I kind of use this analogy, the pilot analogy, and that goes something like, um, think of me as the pilot of the airplane. It's my job to get you from here to your destination of home ownership. But much like a pilot, they have a very skilled crew that focuses on certain parts of the flying experience. Yep. And that's how my team and I work. And I think when I use that analogy, people start to understand, oh, okay, you know, when you're flying on the airplane, you're probably not even gonna see the pilot, right? They right, might yeah. pop on and be like, hey. Now, if you hit turbulence and those little oxygen masks, you know, pop down and we go into thunderstorms when you're flying, that's the pilot still flying the plane, and that's what I'm doing, right? right? My job is strategy, get us to the destination, and I'm there to bring resolution or solutions if we hit turbulence. Yep. But I have an amazing team that handles all the other details. Did you encounter any obstacles when trying to, in some ways, make that transition? Because it's, it's very easy to have that um, close connection with a client to say like, hey, when I work with you one-on-one, -on -one, they know like, hey, call my guy, call my yeah. gal, yeah. like they're gonna take care of you yeah. because it's, you're gonna talk to them. Yeah. But then there's times where, it, like you said, it's when you're trying to best serve them, sometimes right. it's to say, hey, I've got a partner here and so they've got the right name recognition with you. So yeah. did you encounter any obstacles with that? And then was it a big part of just kinda, like you said, using the using analogies that like letting them know like, hey, your customer experience is gonna be the exact same. Yeah. It's here, we're just coming at it from a little bit of a different way. Yeah, I think it all comes down to communication and how we're communicating what we do and who does what and, and you know, bringing a face to the team. So all of my team members are on our website. I'm big into introducing the team. Um, and I'm not going anywhere. So, you know, when you're referring your client over to me, I'm having a conversation and I'd you're like to have that. You're not just in the Bahamas six No, I'm not. That'd be so cool if I was, <laughs> but I'm not. Tell me how to do that. But um, no, so... You know, I'm having that initial conversation in most cases and really just being able to walk them through goals, dreams, hopes, fears. Okay, high level strategy, what does it look like? Here are next steps, right? And then yep. really setting them on their course to home ownership. And, and that's really how we do it. So I think that 
without conversation around it, then people get fearful. But on the other side of the equation, I hear lots of frustration with the real estate community and with people who are working with a single loan officer that can't get a call back, that can't get their questions answered, that you know can't lock in their rate. And so there's good and bad to every type of platform. I really think it just comes down to communication and aligning yourself with people that understand it and bring value that you bring value to and they feel the value being brought, I think that's the key. And so, yeah. you know, just like anything, I mean, we're not for everybody, and uh, but right. we're for a lot of people. <laughs> we'll <Yeah>. take it. <laughs> and it's always, I feel like, if you think you're for everybody, you're not. Like, no. you're, you're just going to bump into yeah. someone along the way where it's like, hey, yeah. we're going to do our best to take care of as many people as we can. But yeah. it's just like recognizing we're not for everyone. Yeah, yeah, and that's okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So how do you maintain relationships uh, with your real estate partners? I know, obviously, you're connected with uh, the Hamblin team, which Mm -hmm. I'm a part of, and that's how we got connected. But then um, I know you guys are connected with other groups throughout the state here. So um, how do you maintain those relationships? How do you create those relationships even from the beginning? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So education has been my platform really my entire career. Okay. And so I started in 2014 to send out a weekly video update to the real estate community just focused on the real estate agents with the hope that I could bring them some insight into the home lending part of the equation and help them grow their businesses. So things that I see are different than things that you see as a real estate agent. So um, I've done that and I sent out that weekly video update 50 weeks out of the year now for seven years. So that's been a great way just to be able to not only brand Uh, what we do but educate and empower and grow mindset and that excites me so we do that outside of that we do lots of other things you know events and certainly um, team meetings and those are mostly around education too we do fun stuff as well which we've you know like to have fun and and a lot of it's just the relationship right we want to be in relationships with people because that's where the trust is this home buying and home lending kind of thing that comes together sometimes there's stuff that happens right that's out of our control but if we're if we know each other right and we trust each other then we're going to find solutions and that partnership and that ability to go through life together it's really special so i mean it's not anything you know crazy it's not rocket science we just have lots of conversations and we try to bring value to the real estate community as well as consumers so i'm a big into educating the world on the home loan process i know how exciting right but no like it's my passion so i just started a youtube channel called mortgage how do i and it's really just geared to consumers that think that they want to purchase a home or refinance and we start to talk about some of the very basic types of loans credit strategies and that's done really well so I'm excited about it so 2014 it's I'm pretty sure that was still very early on when YouTube was active with stuff on there in 2014 but it wasn't business active right for the most part it was a bunch of kids messing around and like here's the video of it or if it's like it's America's Funniest Home Videos, basically. Yeah. And then we saw there were early adopters with some of those things. And then in hindsight, we're getting to look back and say, hey, like, that was a very useful <laughs> tool to use. So what made you take that jump to say, all right, we're going to get on these video platforms that not a lot of people are using? 
Honestly, it was just a God wink. It was one of those things that I think just came from above. And I had the crazy idea in 2013. I don't know where I got this idea from other than God. <laughs> like, I just think he was like, okay, hey, you need to go do this. You need to, you know, and I couldn't turn it, I couldn't turn it off. Like it just kept coming back. Like what a great way to be able to educate and break down barriers and turn some of this written word kind of email update into real world stuff with yep. real life people, right? So, um, but the funny story is when I started out in 2013, because I actually started in 2013, I didn't tell you that part of the story. <laughs> I started in 2013 and I probably shot maybe six, 10 videos that year. I never sent one out. I was horrible. I mean, I was horrific. I could not even fathom looking at myself on video, you know, because like when I'm talking to you, you see me, but I don't see me and that's just fine. Right. Right. But when you do video, then you're looking at yourself and that critical part of ourselves starts to take over. I'm like, oh my gosh, I sound like that. I do that thing with my eye. I talk with my hands. Oh my God, I'm mortified. Right. So all of that fear really just shut me down. Like I was not, but I couldn't shake this thought that I needed to do it. So January 2014, I sat down with Shay, my marketing manager, and Shay's still with me today, and she's been a pivotal part of our success in, on YouTube and the ability to communicate with video. Uh, but we sit down in January 2014, and I'm like, Shay, we gotta figure this video thing out. And she's like, we don't have to figure anything out. <laughs> she's like, you need to get out of your own way. You need to stop being so focused on yourself and start focusing on the value and the knowledge that you have and bring that to the world. And that honestly was it for me. It didn't make it easy, but it gave me the courage to shut off the mental demons and all the negative stuff that I saw every time I looked at a video and just do it. And that was really it. That was the turning point. So we've been consistent for seven years now. And yeah, it was so different back then. Like. I didn't even really start asking people to join as subscribers on my YouTube channel until maybe a year and a half ago. Like it wasn't about that. It wasn't about like this whole influencer. There were no right, influencers yeah. back then. It was really just created as a way to be able to educate our real estate community. That's really where it all started. Awesome. And then I know you've had some appearances on TV shows, so oh. it's, I feel like a step outside even of YouTube. So how did you get involved with that? Was that a byproduct of the yeah. video stuff you were doing on YouTube? It was, it was, you know, people finding me and saying, oh my gosh, you know, we have this TV show, come and be a part of it. You know, it was that type of thing. So honestly, had I never, had I not done video, I would not have had those opportunities. And even if I would have had the opportunities, I wouldn't have been able to do them because I would have gotten my own way. You know, I would have been fearful. I would have been like, oh, but, Doing video and pushing past that fear really prepared me to be able to be on TV on both of those TV shows and to kind of deal with the mental part of that if you're not professional, you know, actor, actress, which I'm not, so. <laughs> gotcha. And then I like to ask people just because I, I like to work. I found a joy in different fields that I've been able to work in, whether that's construction or now in real estate. So. Um, do you have any stories of transactions or anything that you're proud of as far as like this one went all over the place, but in the end we were able to take care of it, get it done, that you remember that you're like, that's one that comes up as far as... So like many, <laughs> so many, so, so, so many. Um, I would say recently, you know, there was one where 
the buyers referred to me by the real estate agent. They'd already talked to another lender. It was one of the big banks and they were their loan was denied. And so much of what we have to do <laughs> is think. We have to listen. We gotta get in that moment and really start to understand all of the scenario. And so when I talked to this buyer, you know, I'm just doing my thing, right? I'm very strategic. I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm building it out. And I'm like, no, you can qualify. And here's how you could do that. And he ended up buying a house and closing within 60 days. Like he was thrilled. He had two little kids. They were all cramped up in this little condo. They wanted to buy a single family residence. They were just so deflated when their loan was declined. And it was just so gratifying to be able to give them the keys and, you know, be able to it's time it's strategy it's experience and we're really good with the puzzle and every home loan is a different puzzle everybody's got a different footprint every single person and that's why i've been able to do this for so long because it's new every day yeah do you really enjoy the problem solving i know you've talked about the education side of Mm -hmm. it a lot but um do you enjoy really getting into like all right here's a mess like let's get in it Yeah, so I think the education part of how I'm wired helps with the solution-oriented part of how I'm wired. So they're a natural fit. Yeah. But my team is so great at the solutions that rarely do they get to me. Generally, they've already solved them. (laughs) But every now and then, you know, they'll still make me feel good and needed. And, you know, they'll pop something by (laughs) and I still got it. So I'll take it. You know, it's all good. Yeah. Is there a big reason uh, that you guys are able to do things that some of these other banks can't because I had a very similar situation with a client where we were told up front by the loan officer that this is going to be very straightforward uh, it'll be a slam dunk and um, in the end the bank was not able to fulfill the loan yeah. we we're able to uh, the listing agent asked us to deal with one of their lenders so uh, we talked to them and they were able to take care of it is there a re- reason why Um, or on when you step outside of those big banks that you guys are able to get that done rather than um, the big banks not being able to do it? Sometimes. So sometimes lending institutions will have additional rules on top of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and FHA and VA kind of standard guidelines. So sometimes that's the reason. But most often it's not that. Most often it's just the loan advisor not having the depth to be able to think through strategy or not turning over all the stones, right? So you know when you send a buyer to us, we don't just talk to them for 30 seconds and be like, woohoo, go shopping, right? Yep. You know, like here's the link to your pre-qualification, <laughs> go after We're gonna pull credit, we want your documentation. We do take all the extra time and we invest that time because they deserve it and you deserve it. Right. The worst thing we can do is give somebody a pre-qualification letter. They go, they shop, you know, they spend four months. You're spending 400 miles driving them around. They lose out on four houses and finally they get under a contract and then they can't get their loan. Like we want to do everything we can to avoid that. And look, life happens. Sometimes people lose jobs or they go to Vegas and spend all their down payment money. Like whatever stuff happens. But for the most Wait, part, that yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, 25 years, lots of stuff has happened, right? Uh, but you I just think every once in a while, like, hey, this is supposed to, like, <laughs> people always say it's going to be the biggest purchase of your life. And then there's certain things where you're like, 
what are you doing? <laughs> yes, right? So the things not to do during the process, if y'all are listening, these are things not to do if you're gonna buy a house, right? Don't spend your down payment money or your closing costs. Making sure you pay all your payments on time because even though your credit report may not be pulled again, it's gonna be monitored through the whole process. You can't borrow your down payment on a credit card, right? Don't quit your job, don't change jobs even if in the same line of work because sometimes people go from like a w-2 employee to a 1099 well guess what that's a problem from a lending standpoint so even if they think they're going to make more money it's still a problem so you know so many of those little things are the things that bite people in the the bonds i actually have a video <laughs> like these are the things not to do during this process right so and with uh sports gambling now being legal in arizona don't try and go from a five percent down payment to a 20 percent in mm. one night yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. I remember I, as a follow up to one of your earlier questions, what's the most frustrating part of the process? It's all the documentation and especially bank statements, because from a lending perspective, we have to document all money. So where'd that money come from? Oh, you won $20,000 last night or you lost $20,000 last night, right? It's that type of thing. So updated bank statements, being able to document it, etc. Then you've talked uh, several times as far as the quality of your team. Is there anything requirement-wise that you have for them when they come on board as far as any certifications that they need? Is there anything like, hey, I got to get to know, like, I got to get to know you first. Is there, like, I know when I joined uh, the Hamblin team, it was like, hey, you got to read this book and basically send me a report about it. And <laughs> there are multiple conversations <laughs> along the way. So is yeah. it something like that? Is it a little different? How do you yeah. go about structuring that? So a, a couple different things. I mean, we hire a lot of people that don't have mortgage experience and develop them over the years. And that's exciting to be able to do that. We do have people complete, you know, kind of personality profiles, just so we can get a gauge of like where their superhero power is, how they're wired, what position we're trying to fill so we can make sure that they're aligned. And we date a lot during the hiring process so I don't rarely do I talk to people day one usually that's somebody here in the office they're doing the initial interview the initial conversation my team will meet people before I meet them because I like everybody I believe in everybody I believe that people can do whatever they set their mind to well that's not a great position to take from a hiring standpoint so right yeah I don't get to hire people anymore but um, <laughs> yeah so no it, and I think really what the most important thing is that people have a heart to serve this isn't an easy business and sometimes it's very frustrating and sometimes it moves fast and sometimes it's just hard. So if you have that heart to serve and you want to grow and you are courageous enough to be pushed out of your comfort zone, this is a great place to do it. You have realtors calling you saying, hey, hey, we need help. <laughs> oh my God, this was supposed to close yesterday and this other lender just declined the loan and how fast can you close, right? <laughs> yeah, I've only heard that like a time or two. Uh, what requirements uh, do you guys have inside the industry to be a mortgage lender? So is there, is it very similar to realtors where mm -hmm. yep, you've got to get the certification, make sure you yeah. stay up with the education, stuff like that? Mm -hmm. So since uh, Dodd-Frank, uh, there were loan officer licensing rules that came about for non-depository lenders. So that would be mortgage brokers and mortgage bankers. We're a mortgage banker. And so we had to do 20 hours of continuing education up front, and then we had to pass both a state and a federal test. And then every year we do continuing education um, based on the federal mandate as well as whatever state that you're licensed in. So, and was it different beforehand? Yeah, there was no licensing. 
you just walked in. So you just walked in, and yeah, there was no barrier to entry. <laughs> you could just walk in and say, "Hey, I want to do this." So Dodd that's Frank, different today. Dodd Frank happens, and then do they go? Was there a recognition that okay, you've been in the industry for however many years, whether like whether it's yourself or any other mortgage broker, to be able to say, "Hey, like we recognize you've been filed, you've been filed." if it's on paperwork, whatever it is, so you don't have to go back and do the 20 hours, or was no. it mandatory that it, it was, was mandatory. like, hey. If you were gonna continue to learn, you either, and you couldn't, if you couldn't pass the test, you couldn't work for a mortgage banker or a broker, not as a loan officer, you had to go work for a bank, because the depository institutions have different rules, even today, from licensing. So for me, it's a mortgage loan officer license. There's a background check. There's fingerprinting. There's all of the continuing education as well as the upfront tests and all of that. And I don't think that was a bad thing. I think that, you know, the more education we get as an industry, the better we can serve. Absolutely. I was just curious as far as if they were like, all right, we're going to honor no. that you were in the industry. No, and I was so stressed. I, was, I remember like 2009 <laughs> was when I went through the, and I'm just kind of that way anyway, but I was like so stressed. Oh my gosh, what if I don't pass the test, you know? Obviously, I passed it, <laughs> but I studied for it and, you know, did all the stuff that I needed to do. It was fine. Yeah. yeah. The majority my of my team's licensed, too, so that's part of the prerequisite to come into my world. I want to encourage people and empower people to go through licensing. It's a process, and it builds confidence, and it's good. It's good knowledge to have. Yeah. Yeah. So looking forward, how do you look in the next five years, ten years, and then even just beyond that to say, all right, here's where I'd like to go. Obviously, it's not everything that we want will come our way, but at the same time, as far as what direction are you pushing to say, is it we want to conquer the Arizona market? It's we're going to try and help as many people as we can, because like you said earlier, it's not everyone can be for every single person out mm -hmm. there. Is it trying to go bigger than that? Is it trying to say, hey, let's create this strong core group to be able to just, hey, it's if you're getting taken care of by the Zitlow group, you are you're in good hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so a couple of things there. Um, certainly being able to continue to bring value to the real estate community as well as our community and people that want to buy, sell, or refinance, that's very important to us and help as many people as we can. I'm licensed in Colorado, California, Texas, and Arizona, so being able to expand in some of those states uh, will be part of the focus. And then for me personally, just being able to influence and impact more people, that's a real passion of mine. So hence the reason why I started the Mortgage How Do I channel. I think that there's so much confusion in our country around the home loan process, and I just feel a real passion to kind of debunk <laughs> all of these myths or thoughts and just help guide people through it whether they use me as a lender or not so gotcha and do you have any key indicators that you're looking for with any of those or is it just basically going to be like hey we're going to put in the work we're going to take it one step at a time and what tomorrow brings is what tomorrow's going to bring yeah i think key partnerships are a, a, a big part of it so um being able to bring groups of people together and focus and build relationships in that group uh, it is something we've been working on over the last couple of years and we'll continue to focus on that. I think there's opportunity with home builders. That's a big area where I hear and kind of see that they could be potentially benefit by having a group that's as strategic and detailed in some type of partnership. That those, that'll be another scope that we'll uh, start to pursue. And you know, at the end of the day, just answer the phone and do the right thing and stay 
um, humble and continued to grow and evolve and not really put any barriers on it. So. Then I did have some questions as far as uh, what kind of daily habits do you engage in to try and make sure that your uh, business is staying as strong as possible? Yeah, so on a personal level, uh, I have a trainer. I work out twice a week with a trainer. He kicks my rear end twice a week. <laughs> it's not fun. I've had a trainer for years because guess what? I won't go to the gym unless I have one. So <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, I believe in coaching. I have been in coaching for years, business coaching, and I think that that's just such a key part of accountability and expanding mindset. So I believe in that. And then um, I pass that on to my team as well. In the mornings, from a personal level, you know, I used to wake up and hit the ground running and, you know, phones and computers and all that fun stuff. And I don't do that anymore. I wake up, I spend time with my two puppies, which I love so much. And we have coffee and, you know, I'll do a daily devotional and I'll read and I'll just really start to kind of get myself calm before the storm hits. Right. So uh, that's that's what I do. Awesome. And then, so you talked about the coaching. Do you have certain role models that you look to that you know personally or even that you uh, try and emulate from afar to be able to say, okay, I see what they're doing as far as business or in my industry, a different industry, but trying to follow in line with, okay, I respect what they're doing. I see what they're doing. I want to walk in those footsteps. Yeah. I think there's so many great coaching programs in our country, especially that are mortgage related and real estate related. I think they have a lot of similar um, philosophies and really the majority of that philosophy is listening to people right engaging in conversation picking up the phone meeting face to face these are not novel ideas it's right, just yeah. the coaching program helps maybe with scripting or you know maybe it's just accountability that's really where I find the coaching is important but so many great leaders in our industry uh, across the country and I tap into all of them and shamelessly I will not be embarrassed at all to say I swipe and adapt if I see something that somebody else is doing really well I'm like oh my gosh that's fantastic I want to incorporate that into my business then I do and that's how we get better and we grow awesome all right I know we've got several questions to round this out so uh, try and make them kind of quick I No, I send them to you beforehand so that it's not a, oh, but um, (laughs) what's been the most impactful thing that you've learned? From life? Just first thing that comes to mind. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important to breathe and not react in the moment from an emotional fear place. And as the older you get and the more that comes at you in life, there's going to be stuff that you're faced with. And just the ability to take a step back, breathe deep breath sometimes, sometimes more than one, and be thoughtful about responses. Flying off the handle and, you know, coming from an emotional place or a place of fear, it never serves well. And I tell my children that, like, just take a deep breath. And then I did realize I had a question that I meant to ask you, and that was going to be the Sunshine Warrior Group. And so that answer reminded me as far as uh, what are you doing with that and how did that get all started? Mm. So Sunshine Warrior is near and dear to my heart. Uh, My mother, who is amazing, she passed away in January of last year. And really, my mom is the what inspired Sunshine Warrior because um, she was full of sunshine. She could walk into a room and just light it up. Um, But she was so positive, even as she was dying from cancer. And there was just something about that. It was another one of those things where 
you know, I'm, I'm watching her. I'm trying to deal with the loss that I knew was coming. And I was like, oh my gosh, this woman is like a warrior, right? But she's a warrior with sunshine. And I started to put together this whole like sunshine warrior type of thought. And it was another one of those God winks where God's like, yeah, you're not letting go of that. And then she passed away and I was just like, I got to do something with this because if I'm feeling this and I want to recognize Sunshine Warriors that are in our world and I want to bring people together that can lift each other up with positivity or, you know, stuff happens in life and sometimes it's death and sometimes it's cancer and sometimes it's a breakup and sometimes it's just not having a great day. So I created this Facebook community called Sunshine Warrior and that's really what it is. It's just about bringing together like-minded people that either go there to be lifted or go there to lift others. Awesome. And I know you also have another Facebook group, uh, and that's for a lot of the media uh, stuff that people are doing within our industry, right? That's with yeah. lenders, um, realtors, and then is it also insurance agents as well? Yeah. Anybody in the real estate-related um, professions are welcome to the group. It's another Facebook community. And this one is focused just on digital. So if you're wanting to learn to market, especially through video or what you're doing right here, or you need tips or tricks, or you're just like fearful and you want a place where you can come that's a safe zone to ask questions or engage or share, that's what the video influencer group is about. So I kept getting all the same questions because now we've done thousands of videos and I kept getting the same questions from people. What's your camera? How do you do this? How'd you get started? Right, so I'm yeah. like, well, dang it, I just gotta bring people together. Let's talk about this and keep the conversation going. So that's what it's about. Awesome. Yeah. All right. I realized I jumped the gun on that. I was looking through my notes and I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh. So, um, all right. The rest of our questions. What is your favorite movie? Uh, Pretty Woman, for sure. Your first character strength that comes to mind? Uh, calm in the Storm. Your least favorite type of spam calls? <laughs> spam calls. When you said spam, I thought about spam like the meat. So. <laughs> I don't know. They're all irritating. Probably home, uh, uh, not home warranty, but car warranty for a car I haven't owned in years. Like, that's classic. Yeah. I love all the memes they've started to make <laughs> off of that where it's like the bottle in the ocean. Like. Uh, and then where can people contact you and follow what you guys are doing? Yeah. So you can follow us on YouTube, Kelly Zitlow, and you can call or text for 80-725-0150. And uh, we'd be happy to talk with you. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. This is fun. Absolutely. And that's all we have for today. But if you guys like the show, please subscribe, tell a friend. And until next time, I hope your hammer stays accurate, your Wi-Fi fast, and you work blessed. See you, everybody.